next case for argument. Case number 23-1642 from the Eastern District of Arkansas, Absolute Essence versus Public Consulting Group et al. Mr. Simmons. May it please the court, Matthew Simmons here on behalf of uh, Plaintiff Appellant Absolute Essence LLC. And uh, I do have Xavier Hendricks, who's one of the principals here uh, with me today. Your Honor, we're here uh, after the district court without hearing argument. Uh, dismissed our first complaint with prejudice and without leave to amend. Uh, the complaint, uh, or the, sorry, the underlying case is... If you, if you speak a little more clearly and... Sorry. The district court dismissed our complaint with, uh, with prejudice and without leave to amend. The underlying complaint, or the complaint that was dismissed, alleged in you know, a good bit of detail that Absolute Essence was the only 100% uh, minority-owned uh, applicant um, uh, in, for a medical marijuana dispensary license, that it was an applicant in Zone 6 for a license to uh, own and operate a dispensary, marijuana, medical marijuana dispensary facility uh, to sell to patients in uh, what's known as Zone 6 uh, in the state of Arkansas. What, what remedy is sought to me? What remedy is sought? Money damages, in this case. There is another case uh, under Ex parte Young kind of doctrine in, where we have an injunction against the issuing of any more licenses Money in state court. Money damages, what, based on... The I deprivation would've, would've of, a, got, of a... Pardon? The deprivation of a medical marijuana license that today is probably worth between 12 and $15 million. That we were discriminated against, racially discriminated against by people that set out to do just that. Um, and, and, and okay. deprived us of a fair opportunity to have a license. And, the, and I will say that the, this, the state circuit court has agreed with us. And, so, and, yeah, and to, to that point, the state case, these are parallel. How are they related? What, it, sure. what the state has entered, as I understand it, and correct me if I'm wrong, but there's an injunction. So mm -hmm. there's still two licenses in this zone six correct. that are potentially at issue. I can answer your honor's question. I know where you're getting at, I think. And, and that is, why did we do it this way? Because at the time we filed the com this complaint, we'd been knocked out of, of competition. There was no indication that the state was going to issue more licenses. Uh, and then they came back in after this lawsuit was filed, the state, the commission did, and said, well, we're going to change all the rules, and we're going to let people undo things that they did and change our applications after the fact, and we're going to give licenses to these two people um, and so the second, the other case wasn't wasn't right. There was no need to file it. So those um, two new, those two licenses that that the state was enjoined from mm -hmm. from um, issuing, issuing, those are brand new after this after this lawsuit was filed. No, it's ex explaining the complaint when they rubber stamped the scores from from the the defendants or the appellees. Uh, the medical marijuana commission held back. I think it was originally, I think it's three licenses. Two licenses. Sorry. It's, it's, it's two, licenses. two licenses. I'm sorry. So, so if, if, if your One of which is in our zone. If your client were to be successful in the state case mm -hmm. and actually get one of yep. these remaining licenses, what does that do to this case? It's going to cut my damages off as of that moment in time. But I, these things make a half million dollars or more a year, every year, like clockwork. Some of them making a million. So we will have had... So it's you know, the delay and right. And well, you know what our what our damages will be. I don't know. And like I said at the time, we initially filed this complaint. We didn't know 
that the state was going to restart that and issue those, you know, those licenses. Would there be any findings in the state state case that are that could potentially be contradictory to what happens here? I don't think anything this judge uh, that the district court did contradicts anything that's, that is necessary for the state case. But yeah, I mean, there's that certainly that potential. She she could very well make fact findings. Um, or sorry, the jury and or the trial judge. I'm not sure whether we're going to have a jury trial or not. Could make very well make fact findings that are directly contrary to the fact findings here, including, you know, whether or not these folks were acting as state actors. That's going to, you know, potentially be an issue uh, in that case because there's there's two layers on the discrimination. The state commission engaged in its own obvious, independent from defendants here layer of discrimination against my clients, holding them to different standards than other people. And they had done it in the past on the cultivation licenses. Um, and it there was the, on, this, on the state actor issue, it sort of mm -hmm. seems like you've got claims where you want them to be state actors in some counts and not state actors or sort of separate entities liable for their independent damages in, in other. Under, I believe that this... The, in the racial discrimination claim, the state action was pled specifically in the alternative. Uh, under Section 1981, um, private, uh, private, and, uh, action, private conduct and conduct under color of state law specifically. It doesn't apply to federal law, um, but private conduct is actionable if it interferes with a, with a contract. And I would also add that 1981 literally goes on to say, you know, not only do you have a right to contract, you know, 1983 overlaps a lot because it says privileges and immunities, which would include the license, to, which makes you immune from state prosecution for selling drugs. Um, but 1981 specifically goes on after contracts to say, um, that, you know, and shall be subject no person will be, you know, deprived of the right to, you know, contract, et cetera, and shall be subject to like punishment, pains, penalties, taxes, licenses, and exactions of every kind and no other. Well, this, we were competing for a license, and we provided the court with case law saying that in this context, that is sufficient, you know, sufficient to be a contract under 1981, but it's also a license under 1981, and that license, without it, and the right without the right to com compete for it fairly, uh, you're going to you're going to go to jail for doing the same conduct that somebody else is doing. So, uh, respectfully, I think under the ex explicit language of 1981, a license is covered, and nobody needs to really reach the question of whether an application for a license is, amounts to a contract. Again, we've provided case law that says yes. In this context, it absolutely can be. Um, what evidence? You mean so, the, the, the Arizona case. Hmm? The Arizona case. Uh, we've got. The Arizona case, uh, Green Sun, which was a, they had a medical marijuana or a medical marijuana license, but they did not have their building permit. And so that license they were deprived of, and that was found to, to support a, uh, a claim. That's the Green Sun case, which is Washington. Um, you know, the, and, the, and the allegations were there were that the city tortiously interfered with the company's ability to do business or the business expectancy by wrongfully withholding the, the, the second, you know, the building permit. The court distinguished that case saying, well, I think the court said that they were basically already up and running. They weren't. They had, they did have a medical, they'd have a marijuana license, but 
there was no allegation in that case that the marijuana license was interfered with. What was interfered with was the next, another license that they needed to do the same thing, and that license was upheld as being sufficient under uh, a tortious interference claim. And there's certainly the other cases we and have. William, Williams is to the contrary, right, from Ohio? Yes. And the cases it's called. Well, Williams also. And, well, I'm just. No, I, I hear your honor. You asserted what the law was, and, and I think it's all from other jurisdictions and very disputed. Is my sense of reading the briefs. I think that this, the U.S. Supreme Court case law that the cases we rely on relied on uh, leave no doubt that the, uh, the Ohio case is wrong. Uh, it, it is just not the state of the law that it can it can never be a a contract for for this purpose um, and can never support a, a civil rights claim. But leaving aside this the. I mean, there's a lot of roads to this, this the, the outcome that we sued on. And another one, which we pleaded in the alternative, is that they were state actors. And it's very clear under the other case law that we cited, uh, you know, if they're state actors, we don't need a contract. It's just 1983 and 1981. What evidence, um, though, do we have of racial discrimination? Um, I think you yeah. pleaded a disparate impact, for sure. Um, but I don't see anything that shows racial discrimination. I show, it shows discrimination, but not discrimination on the basis of race. Well, the, respectfully, the circuit court has concluded that this is racial discrimination, and on the exact same facts. In what circuit court? Circuit court uh, uh, for Pulaski County, Arkansas, on the same facts, found that that is racial discrimination for our client and issued us an injunction, uh, a prospective injunction against the issue. On a civil rights claim? Yes. You know, in this case, against the state. So what evidence is there? I mean, there's, you've got disparate impact. I'll grant you that. Um, they were the only 100% minority-owned applicant. They were treated differently uh, than other applicants. We were scored down. Black, the, the only black, 100% black-owned applicant was literally subjected. There are allegations in there that they used different rules for us that weren't even the rules or the criteria, like they, they downgraded our application, which had the correct hours. I didn't uh, do this to anyone else. No, they did okay. not. And that's all, I mean, there's a whole host of things like this that are alleged. Your honors, I'm into my but do we time. know? But do we know that it was from racial animus itself? I mean, is there any statements? Is there, I mean, is there anything direct? Okay, I, I think this is exactly the kind of thing that one proves through circumstantial evidence, we've alleged that. And the, the district court didn't find that this wasn't racial discrimination or we hadn't adequately pleaded that. It certainly is a disparate impact uh, claim, which would be under 1983 and the Equal Protection Clause. Well, I don't think disparate um, impact claims work under the Equal Protection Clause. Okay. okay. You, you know, your Honor's correct. I had forgotten that. But yeah. the, the, same, the same exact fact pattern was already held uh, by the Supreme Court in Arkansas to say an Equal Protection Claim uh, in the case that preceded this, Carpenter Farms Medical Group versus the same group of uh, government entities. And this case went to the Supreme Court on a sovereign immunity defense, which we absolutely would have won, but, but there, the, the state's appeal was dismissed because they blew their appeal deadline. So, so. so how many, um, you said this is 100% black-owned, mm -hmm. um, and how many are there of the applicants? Is it one? There's one LLC which is owned by three African Americans. There are other black. There were other nominally black controlled. We allege very specifically, and we can prove that the, that the commission knew that those were fronts. They weren't even. They weren't 100% black owned, and that they were fronts for 
companies like publicly traded companies like Harvest Health and Recreation. In fact, there's a we have a decision from the commission um, saying, "Oh well, we you know we're not going to yank your license for fraud because we actually knew before before we gave you a license um, that you were really controlled by Harvest." I think it was Harvest. So you're saying one, your, your client is the one... Well, is the only 100% black-owned entity, and, I, and we believe is the only black-owned applicant, period, that was actually not a front. And that's what we allege very specifically, and we can prove. So I'd like to reserve my time unless there's other questions for me right now. Mr. Fortson. Yes, Your Honor. May it please the court, Grant Fordson for Public Consulting Group LLC and Public Consulting Group Holdings Inc. Uh, by agreement, I'm going to argue 12 minutes, and then uh, counsel for the other uh, appellees uh, will argue. Uh, Your Honors, the district court correctly dismissed plaintiff's amended complaint with prejudice, and its judgment should be affirmed. The uh, tortious interference claim, which is a diversity claim, was properly dismissed for at least three separate reasons. The first of those is the requirement under Arkansas law, which tortious interference is a pretty fairly developed tort in Arkansas, uh, requires a precise expectancy. And the only expectancy that was alleged in the amended complaint of the plaintiff was the allegation that the plaintiff created, those are the words they used, the expectancy that its application would be fairly and thoroughly scored by the defendants. Now, that's the, the plaintiff's subjective expectation of how its application would be scored is not a business relationship, and it's not a business expectancy that supports a tort of tortious interference with business expectancy. The uh, court looked at it, and, and we raised the question, if you, if you look at it broadly and give them the benefit of the doubt and say, well, you're alleging that your application is a business expectancy. Does that satisfy the claim? And it does not. And the district court correctly concluded it did not by looking uh, at Arkansas law. The court looked at the Blum versus Ford case, which dealt with a liquor license, where the Supreme Court said a liquor license is not a contract and it doesn't create vested rights. And this is on the tortious interference claim. Is, is Blum inconsistent with the, the restatement provision that's, that's cited? The restatement second of torts? Well, it's seven seven six. No, the, the 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 expectancy. Maybe it's discussed in the Ohio case. Yes, Your Honor. The seven sixty six B is the section of the restatement that deals with tortious interference, and I've, my answer would be no. It, it's not inconsistent with that. That that uh, section of the restatement, the comments actually say that political relations are not protected or covered by the tort, and so. Um, I would submit that those are entirely consistent. In addition, Blum dealt with a license. Here we're talking about an application for a discretionary license, a discretionary limited license, because there's only a limited number of them. The cases that the plaintiff relies on are not Arkansas cases, but they also don't support, I would submit, the proposition for which they're offered. Uh, the Green Sun case that was referenced is a Washington Supreme Court case or appellate court case. And in that case, the court rejected the proposition that um, there had to be a relationship with an identifiable third party. 
The Arkansas Supreme Court has held, most recently, I believe, in the Data Scout case, that the plaintiff does have to show a specific relationship with a third party. So that case is of no help because this court and the district court had Data Scout uh, to consult. The Forever Green case, Court of Appeals case, said the same thing. It said the general complaint that your ability to do business in Arkansas was affected does not uh, show a specific relationship or expectancy was the language the court used. And the third reason the tortious interference claim was properly dismissed is the contingency. The Arkansas holds that there can be no claim for tortious interference with a business expectancy if it's subject to a contingency. Here, by the plaintiff's own pleading, this was subject to a contingency. The first was that it was alleged in the complaint that these scores that public consulting group would do were not official. They had to be acted upon and considered by the commission before they were official. So that's contingency number one. The second contingency is they had to be awarded the license because uh, there's a ranking process in many, many applicants, and it was a discretionary license. And then the third contingency is the argument, it wasn't discussed uh, just now, but the argument that um, wanting to do business with the public at large is the expectancy. First of all, that doesn't satisfy Arkansas law because of the Data Scout case. Is, is, do you think Data Scout actually says that isn't enough? Or I, is I, it I do, Your Honor. I, I think it says it expressly. In Data Scout, the trial court, uh, as, as recited in the, in the court's opinion, the uh, trial court said the business goal, so the expectancy was the goal of a one-shop, one-stop shop of public data available for public subscribers. That was the expectancy. The trial court said, yes, you've satisfied. The Supreme Court reversed and said the plaintiff failed to prove the existence, and quoting, a precise business expectancy with a specific third party. That's what the Supreme Court said. So I, I think it, it, it clearly requires more. Um, also, um, when we look at that public at large argument, it also fails on the contingency aspect because if you look at the Mercy Health System case, the Mercy Health System said the expectancy is these patients are going to come back to us and the doctors took them. And the court said, well, that's subject to the contingency that those patients will decide to come back to you because they may not. And so they said that's not a sufficient business expectancy under Arkansas law. Does it matter that I think there's an allegation that sort of your client and the, the medical, com the marijuana commission were sort of kind of working together, that there was sort of a rubber stamping of the tallying of the um, numbers? Does that matter? In other words, it's not so contingent anymore. It's sort of that was the final decision maker, so to speak, and, and the state just adopted it. That allegation? I don't, I don't think it's alleged that there was a, a pre-existing agreement that that would be the case. I think it has been argued that it was basically a rubber stamp. They adopted them. But the fact is, as they allege and the regulations hold, they weren't final and they, they weren't action by the commission until the commission did review them and approve them. So that's still the, the, the event that occurred. And then, uh, if I may, jumping ahead to the uh, race discrimination claim, uh, I want to make a couple points there. Uh, the first is uh, on the point of um, intent. We, the, the, the district court didn't get to this point, but we made the argument below, and I, this court, of course, can affirm on any basis. There, the allegations of intent 
based on race are wholly missing in the complaint. And, and more than that, the complaint specifically alleges that the intent of the defendants was to steer the licenses to large industry players with who the defendants allegedly had relationships. That's completely different than discriminating on the basis of the plaintiff's race. And so they really pled themselves out on, on that claim, and they failed to, to allege it's, intent. It's not completely different. I mean, I, I get your point, but it's not completely different. Uh, fair enough, but I, I, think, I think it's inconsistent to say that our whole everything we were doing was, to, was intended to drive licenses to big industry players but we discriminate based on race. Because that's that, where race is alleged, it really is conclusory. There, there are no facts establishing an intent to discriminate on the basis of race in what the complaint. What did the state court rule with, regarding? Well, I disagree, Your Honor, that, that that's the status of that record. I'm not involved in that case, so all I can do is, is honestly look online. Uh, I believe what happened and what the status of the case is is that the court granted a preliminary injunction. So I, I don't think any final findings have been made. I, if I recall correctly, I believe my review of the order did not make a finding of race discrimination, but I, I can't you know, represent that because I, I can't recall the order specifically uh, right now. But, but I think that's an overstatement of the court's findings there. Uh, also on the race discrimination, uh, there was no discussion of Board of Regents versus Roth. You know, the district court cited DeBlum versus Ford on the privilege issue under Arkansas law. I think that definitely gives the court direction, our Arkansas law on the tortious interference. On the, on the race discrimination claim, if you go farther and, and apply the, the analysis or the language of Roth and his progeny, it, it, you reach the same result because the, the question there is, does, does the absolute have a legitimate claim to entitlement of a dispensary license or does it have a mere hope or unilateral expectation. And clearly, here, it's a mere hope or a unilateral expectation. This, this license, as alleged, is discretionary. That's the whole reason there's the whole uh, merit process. And the whole reason there had to be scores uh, developed. And then on the issue of uh, state action, addressing that, state action was referenced in one paragraph of the complaint. And it, it, it was in the alternative, as counsel said, but it, it it just says in the alternative, and it lists off several uh, other constitutional claims, and then it says defendants were state actors. That's not sufficient factual allegations to establish that the defendants were state actors. And uh, even if you consider that it may be, and you look to the, uh, I can't remember the, the style of the case, but the case involving the emergency room doctors, that's not the same because here, as they allege. Well, I, I suppose our test is whether the complaint read as a whole yes. has a plausible support for that one paragraph assertion. I, I agree, Your Honor, but I would submit that it does not, that that it, I think the only thing the plaintiff can point to, and, and really I think it's tacitly been admitted in their brief where they, try, where they listed some additional facts that they argue would have been included. And uh, respecting my agreement with co-counsel, I, I need to step aside, but uh, well, let me just, I want to follow up on this. What about the fact that the government was originally doing this and then, and then delegated it to your client? It's, I mean, I, I assume, that I remember that being in the complaint. Is that enough to at least put you on notice that there's a state actor type of argument that's going to be made? Well, uh, I don't think, I mean, I definitely, 
I think tied with that other, yes, put me on notice, yes, Your Honor, but I think the issue is does it state facts to support that? And, and the problem is they alleged that what we were going to do was unofficial well, and had to be. The delegation is adequately supported, isn't it? The, the allegation that, that they gave us the responsibility or yeah. contracted with yeah. us to do the scores. Yes, Your Honor. I'm not saying that that wasn't. I'm saying that it wasn't wholly delegated because we were engaged as a con contractor who would then provide the commission the scores, which would then do with those well, as it may. Uh, the only question is whether that's a plausible allegation that you, were, you are a state actor under, under federal under, law. understand. seems to me it, it is. May, it it may not may not be provable factually or legally, but it's plausible. Yeah, I, I think the distinction I was drawing was whether it was the extent of the delegation. Uh, and then uh, I will uh, step aside, and let counsel. But we will submit uh, request affirmance. May it please the court. I'm Steve Neiswanger on behalf of the separate appellees. Chad Westham and Voracious Compliance Solutions, we adopt the arguments uh, that Mr. Fortson made. There is one unique argument in the appellant's brief that uh, is not addressed by Mr. Fortson, and I wanted to address it real quickly. Um, Absolute argues erroneously that some of the very same appellees at the core of the misconduct alleged in the case sub Judas have been successfully sued in the state of Missouri for the same actions complained about here. Well, that's not true, although Voracious Compliance Solutions was sued in that Missouri case. The judgment was rendered against a company called Wise Health Solutions, not Mr. Westham and not uh, Voracious Compliance Solutions. That's found at the trial court record document 34-5. And that's all I have. We would ask the court to affirm the trial court's decision. Thank you. Thank you. Your Honors, uh, may it please the court, Ryan Applegate, I represent the uh, separate defendant and appellee who is uh, Samaria Yell Robbins in this case. Um, we also join and adopt the um, arguments that Mr. Fortson made on behalf of uh, uh, PCG in this case. Uh, one argument that I didn't want to present that is unique to uh, my client in this case uh, pertains to the uh, cause of action for fraud. Um, in the amended complaint, it's alleged that my client Robbins uh, scored mar medical marijuana dispensary applications that she was not disclosed as part of the scoring team and that she did not sign a conflict attestation. The plaintiff goes further and says she had a conflict of interest. Um, allegations that are notably absent from the amended complaint are that Robbins made any representations whatsoever at all. Um, and also notably absent from that complaint, uh, from the complaint, is that Robbins was ever provided or actually scored the plaintiff's application in this case. Um, common law fraud re requires a false representation under Arkansas law. Um, Absolute says in their amended complaint, as it pertains to fraud, that Absolute relied on representations in PCG's bid and contract in submitting its application. They sort of changed their argument in their brief, and they say that they relied on the representations in PCG's bid and contract in not challenging the scoring process. In any event, um, wherever Absolute sort of wants to place the target in terms of where, it where its reliance may have been, none of that was based on a representation of Robbins, certainly not a false representation of Robbins, because there simply 
is no representation that was ever made. Um, there's, there's no allegations to fraud. Again, we join and we, we request that the court firm. Thank you. <laughs> Your Honors, um, with respect to the Mercy Hospital case, that case involved a situation where the only allegation of wrongdoing was the doctor went and opened another clinic. In, in, in Stewart uh, title, which is an Arkansas Supreme Court case, they adopted Prosser across the board. They quoted at length, and then they reject the notion that... You mean Stewart title? Stewart, Stewart title. They reject the notion that you have this threshold issue of expectancy. They say, no, we specifically reject that. You have to look at the entirety of what occurred here, which would include the wrongful conduct, which was pretty much absent in, in Mercy. Um, and they say that uh, we... Uh, the other side argued that you know, the threshold issue must be answered of expectancy before delving into the remaining elements. They go on and say, uh, as for, based on other cases that we've decided, as well as the definitions of business expectancy outlined by Prosser and Restatement Second of Torts, we look to the four elements of the torts of the tort in their totality to answer the question of whether tortious interference with business expectancy should lie. In the portions of the restatement and Prosser that they adopt, they specifically say that it covers uh, future contractual relations, prospect of, including the prospect of uh, things like including the prospect of obtaining employees or employment, the opportunity of obtaining customers. Uh, any, and they go on to say, again, quoting the restatement and Prosser, includes any prospective contractual relations, buying land, chattels, you know, employment, and any other relations leading to potentially profitable contracts. So the, the, the notion here that you have to have a specific person that we can identify is wrong. And, and it is a reasonable inference from the complaint that what we're talking about is the right to do business and sell medical marijuana, as we said in our briefs, and the court acknowledged that we said that. Um, we believe that the whole concept of the license is, it, that's baked into that, right? because we're not going to go to jail if we sell marijuana to, to the medical patients in Zone 6. But given the standard is you shouldn't dismiss with prejudice, if, unless there's no set of facts somebody could plead and prove, the court should have given us leave to amend if they, you know, if they felt that that wasn't inferable from our complaint. Well, you know, that's a huge uphill battle on appeal in this circuit. I, I understand. And, uh, but I think it's inferable from our complaint. And the case law we have also says that our business expectancy, the one, you know, the narrower version that they're saying we identified and that the judge found is also viable. The um, state actor uh, allegations are clear from the complaint. They are in paragraphs 19, 24, 27, 33, and 68. And from those paragraphs, 68, uh, sorry, it culminates in, I think, 94, where we make the, in the alternative, there were state actors allegations. They were delegated the task of scoring this. And, to use what I think I hear them saying, they're saying like if a doctor writes a script okay. under the medical well, case, time's up, and this is all in the briefs. So we we obviously I didn't see it's that a complicated thank you, case. I understand. And, and, uh, thank you. You've done a good job, all of you, of highlighting what uh, is helpful at oral argument, and uh, we'll take it under advisement.